Live. I'm Graham Lynch. We've got a big episode this week. Uh, we'll be speaking with Chris Hawke from the fascinating broadband company Gigafy, who specialise in providing internet service to multi-dwelling units such as apartment blocks. They're targeting a hot new market, build to rent. We're going to get the lowdown on what's happening there. We also feature a sponsored interview with Nathan Gowdy of Casa Systems, talking about the role that ISPs can play in deploying and optimising Wi-Fi in the home. It's an underappreciated part of the end-user internet experience, and Nathan has some fascinating perspectives to share with us. We'll also be catching up with Rowan Pierce to discuss two new all-digital brands, Gomo and Felix, and Simon Ducks, who will share news from Chorus in New Zealand, and also how telcos are reacting to the new South Australian lockdown. But first up, focus. Australia's fourth largest full-service telco this week announced an IPO for its New Zealand division. It also happens to be the fourth largest telco in New Zealand, turning over 400 million Kiwi dollars a year. I caught up with Focus CEO Kevin Russell this week to talk about it and asked him, first of all, why is the time right now for a New Zealand listing? Uh, I would say stage of the turnaround of the Focus Group. So without question, the progress we've made these last 12 months on getting Vocus Network services operating and winning in market gives us a lot of confidence around the, you know, the platform we've built into the business. At the same time, we've, we've had really good traction in stabilizing the retail business. It, it, it's fair to say, if you if you reflect over the last three years, the New Zealand business has been the the, the reliable growth business, and there's been a lot of work to do on strengthening and turning around focus network services and retail. I, I spoke about it in the results in, in August that we it, this turnaround we've been working on is now largely complete, and that gives us the ability to start to look at longer term. Uh, capital allocation and corporate structure. So I think trying to, the timing prior to now, would, in my view, would not have been appropriate because don't clearly understand where the businesses are. So I'm a lot more confident and comfortable with the progress we've made in VNS and retail. We're, we're in obviously a very choppy economic environment right now. Um, how much is that a factor in what you're doing? Uh, irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. We, we, we would be the calm in the storm just now. It, I mean, it may be a choppy economic environment, but uh, we feel more solid than we've ever been. And whilst, the, whilst we recognize that there'll be parts of the economy, economy that may be challenged, there's unquestionably more opportunity opening up for us today than there was uh, 12 months ago. Why is that? Uh, well, obviously, fibers. It's fair to say these last seven or eight months have proven that not all infrastructure is equal. Uh, fiber has proven to be critical infrastructure and increasingly valuable infrastructure through COVID, and that's where we play. That's where the bulk of our assets play, and the whole push towards bandwidth requirement digitization of, of, of organizations has meant that that we are having strong demand and increasing opportunities to strengthen our network and, and grow our business. Uh, so there's, there is absolutely a nice 
timing of, of having Bocas Network Services uh, and retail performing well at a time that opportunities are also emerging. I think Ian Martin, the telecom analyst, made, has made a comment that there's a paucity of good telco infrastructure stocks in the market. Would you agree with that? And, and do you think what you're doing in New Zealand perhaps helps to satisfy some of that demand? I would suggest that the, there is a certainly an appetite in New Zealand for quality businesses on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. And, you know, if you looked over the last few years, that this, this is a big... This is a big IPO in the New Zealand marketplace. It's a flagship IPO in the New Zealand marketplace, and it's a it's a quality business. So, I, I absolutely acknowledge that there's a there'll be an appetite for 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 telco infrastructure, but there's also an appetite for just a quality business. Uh, so, I think Vocus New Zealand fits into into that category in terms of more more broadly Australian New Zealand infrastructure and telco. I mean, it's, 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 not a, it's not a marketplace where you – it's not a, an area where you're going to have, by definition, large numbers of, of, of infrastructure companies because scale-wise, you've only got room for a, a few big infrastructure investors, I think, in, in the marketplace or in a market like, like Australia. We've, we've put a time frame of June 2021. We expect the business to be IPO'd. Yeah. O- obviously, that, that probably is more of a time frame of April or May. Uh, so we've we've done work and we're now off and running and you know you could we would be targeting a, a a successful listing comfortably prior to June. So what do you need to do now? Now, now you've announced the intention. What what are the next steps to make this happen? Uh, we, I mean the what we've announced is the appointment of our of our joint lead managers, uh, the banks who will be organising. Uh, the IPO and arranging the offering. So steps now are obviously in getting traction on uh, execution of, of documentation, better understanding uh, market demand and working through those regulatory steps to achieve a successful successful listing. And do you have, um, I, I know you haven't announced the actual amount that you'll be seeking to raise, and it's probably early days for that, but ha- have you got a, a ballpark number of where you'd like to land? No, I mean, not, not that I would, uh, no. Uh, there, there is, we, we recognize that this is a quality business. We recognize that uh, there is a, an appetite for quality businesses, and we're, we're very confident in terms of how, how this business, how this IPO will be received. Just, just while I've got you, um, how are things looking in the Australian business right now, and uh, particularly with what, seven months of COVID? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I'm exceptionally proud of the way Vocus, the way the people at Vocus have executed and run our business and supported our customers over the last eight months. I think we've done a phenomenal job of, of supporting our customers up. Our key priority during this period has been to fixate on on delivering our responsibilities, which are to support our customers, and whether that they are enterprise, government, consumers, small business, whether it's Australia, whether it's New Zealand, that's been our fixation. And I think we've we've achieved exceptional standards of 
delivering to customer expectations during a really important period for for businesses and individuals who are relying on connectivity. I think that has meant that we are coming out of this period with a really enhanced reputation, brand reputation, and set of customer relationships. We've also had some good learnings as to how we can operate more effectively. And the business has has absolutely strengthened uh, over this seven or eight months, as well as seeing good market opportunities uh, growing, uh, particularly in, in, in appetite for fibre. So each business, New Zealand retail, Focus Network Services, has performed exceptionally well. And you could see in our results to August a level of momentum and strength. And what I've said in 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 our AG, recently in our AGM was that we've we've had a really good start to the year, a really strong uh, operational start to the year. I do recognise that uh, the economic environment next year, as as some of the government support falls away, may be may be harder in small business, but we are seeing really good appetite, good growth in all other parts of the business. Thank you for making uh, time. It's very much appreciated. No, no, that's all great. Always good to talk. Well, Focus isn't the only New Zealand telco getting in on the action. Uh, This week, um, Chorus announced a largish bond issue and also their priorities for 2021. And to tell us all about it is the Chief Editor of Comms Day, Simon Ducks. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Tell us all about Chorus. Essentially, what Chorus was doing uh, was going back to the market because obviously uh, interest rates are at such a um, beneficial uh, low level at the moment. A lot of uh, big telcos are actually refinancing, and that's exactly what Chorus has gone and done. They're going to be using this 200 million New Zealand dollar uh, fixed rate bond offer to help refinance their uh, 400 million bond maturing in May 2021 and then use the balance for what they uh, call general corporate purposes. So uh, at the same time, they updated on what they are actually doing with their fibre rollout and uh, talking about some of their cost reductions as well. And uh, essentially what they're looking at doing is that they are now getting around 80,000 what they call UFB2 addresses that they're going to be looking to pass in full year 21. And uh, they all have already seen 420,000 UFB1 and UFB2 addresses already passed, essentially. So uh, they're keeping up the rollout on uh, what they're hoping for is that uh, they're going to maintain around 30% take up within six months of the network build, uh, which is a, a reasonable figure on the fibre. And uh, they're focusing on achieving 1 million fibre connections by 2022. And by uh, this time, according to the UFB regulatory framework, fibre is expected to be available to 87% of the population. So that is about 1.36 million premises. 
Okay, um, well, moving on. Um, telcos in Australia had a, um, a terrible sense of deja vu, or as you described it in Comms Day, Simon, Groundhog Day, uh, this week when South Australia decided to go back into full uh, lockdown because of the COVID pandemic. Of course, the telcos have been dealing with this in Victoria, uh, and now uh, and now they've got another state with its own rules and, and uh, officials to deal with. T- t- tell us what the telcos are saying about South Australia. Yeah, you can imagine Bill Murray sitting there with Sony and Cher uh, in in the eyes. Uh, We had a good chat with the Comms Alliance because uh, they're having exactly the same debates uh, that they've started with Victoria. And uh, the thing is that on the very first day of the lockdown, uh, telecoms was uh, defined as an essential service. But of course, the question comes down to what does that definition exactly mean? And again, uh, we're looking at the retail stores and whether or not they can be open. So the big uh, telcos have shut their retail stores, but are seeking further guidance uh, from the state government. So essentially, uh, you know, uh, talking to John Stanton, he said that, you know, in a pandemic, pandemic-induced lockdown, around 80% of the activities in stores operated by the telco carriers relate to technical or hardship support, particularly for vulnerable customers. So you can see that uh, there is a strong case that these can remain open as emergency um, uh, outlets, if you like. And uh, so this is the debate that has to happen. We need a bit of clarity. Uh, It's a little bit clearer on the engineering visits. Uh, I think... uh, 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 network builds are going to be uh, continuing uh, where appropriate and MBN told us that um, any planned outages in the overnight maintenance window will continue as business as usual and any work between, uh, that means any work between 6 and 9am, any daytime outages after 9am uh, that are not critical are going to be paused for 14 days maximum or until further notice as things become more clear. Well, let's just hope that the uh, lockdown achieves its aims and they can lift it after six days and things can go back to a semblance of normal in South Australia. This is Comms Day Live, and now it's time for our sponsored interview of the week. We're speaking with Nathan Gowdy, who's the Director, Product Management Access Devices at Casa Systems here in Sydney. And the topic is an important one, namely the role that telcos can play in the in-home Wi-Fi experience and why it's a good strategic move to be there. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Graham. Good to be here with you. Now, we're hearing and seeing several different ISPs discussing, what I guess you could term a whole home Wi-Fi solution. Can you explain what this is all about? Uh, so over the last decade, you've probably seen um, a whole home Wi-Fi really consist of more higher spec uh, type of home gateways um, and potentially paired with uh, with extenders as well uh, and um, that has been a very um, you know a fairly effective uh, use of, uh, of the term home whole home Wi-Fi if you like but it's really had a fundamental shift in probably the last couple of years and um, what what the shift has really gone towards is more of a ubiquitous uh, type of uh, Wi-Fi coverage throughout the home something probably a bit more akin to what is like a mini uh, mobile network within your home. So you've got little cells throughout the house and you can um, effectively freely walk through the home and, and have Wi-Fi spread you know, wherever it's required uh, and not have any, um, any issues with, uh, with getting access to that Wi-Fi. 
uh, whether in your backyard or in your upstairs bedroom or, or down the basement. So that's what a fundamental shift um, or what, what, what a shift has uh, meant over the last decade. Um, and I think what that really sort of speaks to is um, uh, more, uh, more of a, um, uh, a view where you've got three main building blocks uh, which consist of that uh, that solution. And uh, those three m- main building blocks really consist of the gateway, which is your traditional piece, uh, but also uh, it's pairing that with mesh access nodes, uh, which is a relatively new concept that's been out there for a couple of years, but it hasn't necessarily been paired or having those two elements paired with a, um, an underlying software platform, which, uh, which orchestrates the whole piece. Okay, so what's the benefit of this for an ISP? Um, there's a few main benefits, uh, and those um, those benefits really uh, begin with the unboxing experience for the end user. So by having uh, you know a a system that is underpinned with this software platform allows you to effectively pre-provision a lot of these hardware uh, uh, devices for end users. So effectively, if you're an end user and you've just signed up, or you're an existing user uh, and you've signed up. Uh, to uh, to have one of these uh, systems in your home, you can receive them and and basically unbox them and start placing them throughout the house without having to um, touch the devices in terms of pairing. Uh, what you've probably seen in the past is with um, a gateway from one one manufacturer uh, paired with uh, you know mesh nodes from another manufacturer, which is a very typical uh, uh, sort of use case at the moment the end user has to go through a series of setup processes when they receive these boxes for the first time. Uh, and typically that would require them to download an app, maybe enter some codes to pair the devices. Uh, and effectively, you know, you may get a bit of a hidden, hidden miss rate with, uh, with that type of setup. So uh, we, we have found with, uh, with our customers anyway, uh, that uh, that's been a bit of a challenge having that, that type of uh, approach to giving customers whole home Wi-Fi. So having something that works out of the box, number one, is probably the biggest uh, you know, uh, benefit an ISP will see. Um, and then I guess secondly, what you've got is uh, by having a platform which underpins all of this, uh, you actually, for the first time as an ISP, this is extremely exciting, uh, you get the ability to see within the end user's home. And we've seen throughout our, our local marketplace anyway, You've got um, the likes of NBN at the moment uh, wanting to uh, verify uh, home gateways to make sure that they're performant. Um, and we're seeing a lot of our customers, our ISP customers at Casa Systems, really wanting to understand what's happening with Wi-Fi. Uh, because at the end of the day, when an issue comes up and an end user's premise, uh, that issue is generally seen as a problem with the internet. Now, they don't necessarily mean that, uh, that they don't necessarily discern, I should say, that um, that, that uh, is to do with the Wi-Fi or the WAN connection. Uh, so, uh, so really having that visibility into the home allows an ISP now to determine whether the issue is at the Wi-Fi end or at the WAN end. Okay, now you outlined some of the benefits there to the end user as well, but are there any additional... Yeah, for the end user, there's, there's plenty of benefits there as well. Um, you know, when you have a, uh, a system like this, you, as an end user, have the ability to, um, to uh, first of all, spread that Wi-Fi throughout the home. 
Uh, and that's, um, that's becoming quite a, a key use case at the moment. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of IoT devices in each home and we've got research which suggests that in any, uh, in any typical Australian home at the moment and New Zealand home, uh, that you're getting, you know, well over 20 devices throughout the home, some which need, you know, access in the front yard or the backyard uh, as well. So having that, um, that ability to obviously go uh, from end to end throughout the home is quite, quite key. But um, I, I guess probably the key element, and it's a little bit like what the ISP sees by having this access to a platform, which allows them to see what Wi-Fi is doing throughout the home. By providing that information also to the, uh, to the end user, you're effectively giving them the ability to self, uh, to self, um, uh, to self uh, diagnose what those issues are as well, which is really, really important. It allows them the ability to understand if there's an issue with their TV or their iPad or their phone, whatever it is, because they're too far away from the, the mesh node or the gateway, uh, and they can address those issues straight away. At the moment, if you've got a, a pure end gateway, it's very, very difficult for an end user to discern that very simply. So uh, by providing them access to a platform or an app that gives them that information, it's incredibly powerful uh, and allows them to fix problems before they go to the ISP as well. Now, one, one of the perennial objections to Wi-Fi is about data privacy. Um, should end users be concerned about privacy in the context of a whole home Wi-Fi solution? So frankly, no. Um, in terms of data privacy, these types of systems generally are only picking up metrics that relate to Wi-Fi performance, either between the, the mesh access points and the gateway and or the, the end, um, end device as well. So whether it be your TV or uh, your iPad or what have you. So there's no, no data that is being picked up in terms of what's being browsed or, uh, or you know, how much of that data is being browsed either. So, um, there's no visibility to given to any of that, uh, that information to an ISP or even the end user. Okay. Overall, what obstacles do you see in a whole home Wi-Fi deployment or what is by definition a wide and varied end user base? The, the first obstacle really that we see is ensuring that you've got a platform that, um, that gives a detailed overview of the, the end user side so that they've got the ability to actually start placing units and, and setting these, these, uh, these systems up. So it does provide that ubiquity that we've been talking about throughout, um, throughout this session. Uh, that, that's really important. Um, and secondly, an ease of, an ease of install is really, really important as well. Uh, you know, you've got a very, very wide variety of end users here, uh, that we're talking about. You might have your highly skilled technical people, uh, through to your not so skilled uh, technical people and uh, you need a system that out of the box can work for all of those end users so again it goes back to having a zero touch type of approach to uh, to set up where out of the box it works first time and uh, if it's not working well it gives you the information as to why it's not working how can an isp structure a deployment to their user base um, so they can do this in a, a variety of different ways. And by having these three different uh, building blocks, as I said before, your gateway, your mesh access points, and your platform, you can now start to do a little bit more with what you want to offer end customers as well. So, for instance, you could uh, go to market and offer customers simply a gateway, uh, and uh, that could be perfect for uh, those in, in high-density areas. Um, and then you can go through to... Um, you know, 
adding mesh access points to that. So it provides an extra revenue stream for, for certainly the ISP, but also it provides another mechanism to uh, to address Wi-Fi issues within the home for the end user as well. So it's a bit of a win-win situation there too. Um, and thirdly, by having a whole bunch of data that you can provide customers with as well, um, you're able to uh, potentially monetize that too. So if you've got information uh, which pertains to the performance of their Wi-Fi uh, and also um, to your, your product as a whole, it allows you to you know, obviously provide extra services uh, wrapped around that too. Okay, what should an ISP be looking for when deciding uh, who to partner with as a supplier for a whole home Wi-Fi solution? Within the local market, within Australia and New Zealand, I think there's a few very key points that you need to be looking out for. Uh, you know, we've touched on privacy there. I think that's a, that's a key one. You want to be able to ensure um, your customers are being looked after from a privacy perspective, especially within the realms of Australia and, and New Zealand law, uh, for, for instance. Um, secondly, you're wanting a partner which um, also understands the local market, I think. Uh, and I think there are nuances between the Australian New Zealand market uh, for gateways uh, and also those in international markets. And uh, what we're seeing, especially with our customers, is there's a requirement to, to, provide, uh, to provide these services in a very zero-touch type of fashion. Uh, they're not interested in, um, certainly end users are not interested in seeing devices that come to them that they need to, uh, uh, you know, set up uh, and, you know, download an app uh, and, and whatnot. So having a product which is set up specifically for this market and dealing with the, the nuances of the consumer in this market is super important as well. And thirdly, I'd also suggest because uh, zero touch requires a level of uh, pre-configuration as well, uh, a level of uh, logistics setup uh, within the local market as well is quite important. So uh, being able to pre-provision uh, something locally uh, and, and then get it to a customer on behalf of an ISP uh, can be extremely powerful in terms of who you're looking to partner with uh, to provide this solution for you. Um, what do you see as the unique differentiation points for CASA when it, when it comes to home Wi-Fi? Yeah, look, I think, I think there's a, a few. And, um, you know, what, what I've touched on throughout uh, the session here is, is really the three key pillars. We, we do bring to, to market a solution which um, has a common software platform throughout, uh, throughout the system. So that gets you away from having to set up different devices out of the box, which, which is really, really important. Um, I can't stress that one enough. And it also enables us to provide a solution which is seamless. So if you've got you know, a gateway from one vendor and mesh access points from another vendor, what you generally find is you lose a little bit of information across the two because they're not necessarily talking completely between the two ecosystems. By having a single ecosystem managing that, uh, you can access a whole bunch more data. Uh, and uh, that, that's super important. So we're one of the, uh, the only uh, vendors in the market providing this three-tiered approach across a common software platform. Um, and that software platform in itself is, is super important as well. You need to have a, a system which is, um, which is also talking to the end user and uh, reducing the support burden straight away for the ISP. 
But um, having a system which allows the ISP to quickly diagnose Wi-Fi issues is super, super valuable. Uh, we're seeing in initial trials here as well. Uh, and ours is certainly able to do that. Um, and finally, I think what you'll generally find is we're able to pair that with the logistics set up locally that we can pre-provision um, all of these uh, these devices for our customers so that when they get to an end user, again, that out-of-the-box type of setup where it's zero touch and it just works uh, is, is achievable. Uh, and I think that's a bit of a holy grail because we've certainly seen uh, in some of our um, products in the past, uh, you know, where you don't have this type of setup, it can take 20, 30 minutes or more to actually set these things up. And uh, if it starts to get up to that sort of region of time, uh, it, it may end up in a failed install and, and an unhappy customer and therefore churn. So that, uh, I think, is what sets us apart from, from others in the local market. Okay. On that note, thank you very much for joining us today, Nathan. No problem. Thanks, Ryan. Great to be here. taking a look at the week that was with Rowan Pierce, the executive editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hi, Graham. Now, we're going to take a look at um, two digital brands launched by two telcos this week into the market. Um, they're both spelt in lowercase. Now, if you read Comms Day, you'll know that we have a, a resolute policy against indulging the fantasies of lowercase proper nouns. We will always spell it I saw both of these uh, words with capital letters, Felix and Gomo. <laughs> so, Rowan, tell us first of all all about Felix, which is uh, TPG's new brand. I, I, just on the caps thing, like I, I should check back through the archives. Like, how do you do IINet? Are you going with a capital A or um? <laughs> uh, IINet has a capital in it, so consequently, it fulfills the rule that there should be a capital letter somewhere in the proper noun. That, that's, that's the policy. Yeah, so Felix is interesting, right? So it's TPG's, uh, uh, I guess, yeah, one of the important things is it's TPG's first um, brand they've launched since the merger uh, between TPG and Vodafone. Um, interesting product construct too, which is like a bit, a bit novel, which is $35 a month for endless data, but it's capped at um, five megabits a second. So it's led by Paul Tierney, and, and he told me that they'd obviously identified a kind of subset of the market which didn't need necessarily the full, full um, kind of like four, 4G speeds that the network's capable of. Um, but that was still going to be enough for, I guess, like, you know, basic usage and even HD video. So, yeah, like, like you said, it's a digital brand. All the support is, like, uh, digital in a kind of chat-style interface. And the, the kind of key thing that they're pushing, really, is the uh, environmental credentials. So it's a carbon-neutral telco. And they've also got, like, they've got also got a couple of other environmental initiatives. So they've got a partnership with um, One Tree Planted, for example, and they're going to um, plant a one tree a month for each active uh, customer on the... Um, on Felix, I, I guess the obvious point of comparison would be Telstra's Belong, which is also, I mean, Telstra's carbon neutral now, but obviously Belong, Belong has always had that kind of carbon neutral thing going for it. So that would be an obvious point of comparison. Okay, and um, over at Optus, they've uh, basically ad adopted a brand that their parent, Intel, has been using in Southeast Asia, and that's Gomo. Can you tell us more about Gomo? 
Yeah, so GOMO, um, like, uh, uh, I, I spoke to Matt Williams at Optus about this, and he said that um, although the GOMO brand is used um, in the region, they always kind of tailor it to the particular market they're using. And so they're really, um, with, with GOMO, Optus is really uh, emphasizing kind of simplicity and the price, and they've got the tagline of mobile without the malarkey. Um, maybe they were, like, anticipating the Biden administration, who's uh, well known for his use of malarkey, um, or opposition to malarkey, I should say. Um, um, so their proposition is so it's a, it's a single product, twenty five dollars for um, for thirty days, um, and they're kind of positioning it as like a Netflix style digital service. So like Felix, all digital support with a chat style interface, and and like Felix, also independent of the kind of parent Optus brand. Um, so I, I guess yeah, it's kind of interesting with both these that they're. Um, obviously like belong for me during Telstra's full year results as a kind of standout performer and you think they're kind of all going to be jockeying for a a similar similar maybe slightly different emphasis but that kind of same segment of the market and I guess it also kind of feeds into a bit that we've seen um you know uh, uh, a rise of um a lot of uh, people taking sim-only plans a lot of people moving away from the kind of more expensive uh, handset plans and that kind of thing but what's going to be interesting to see um, playing out as well is like how it's going to affect them, um, I guess, the wholesale customers of these telcos, and if they're going to start eating to their MVNO share, or if it's just going to be like kind of stopping the bleed. Okay, well, that's uh, the brave new world of digital-only brands. No room, it seems, for shift keys or malarkey. Thank you, Rowan. <laughs> Cheers, Craig. We're going to turn our attention to Gigafy, who are one of Australia's more interesting challenger telcos. If you're not familiar with them, there was a pithy description recently offered by Urban Developer magazine about them. The magazine said, Gigafy provides high-speed internet to residential buildings. Servicing high-rise buildings and townhouses around the world, it's a walk-in and connect solution for those who want super-fast internet and no hassle. In essence, Gigafy provides an internet connection to a building, then installs and connects cabling to distribute that internet connection to a wireless router in each unit. When a prospective tenant or owner moves into that apartment, their internet connection is ready to go. Now, the fact that that was carried by a property magazine tells you something about Gigafy's worldview. They see apartment strata committees or or managements as their marketing partners, as, as, as fellow stakeholders. Now, Gigafy are targeting a hot new market, the build-to-rent market. And to tell us all about it, I'm joined by Chris Hawke, who's the General Manager at Gigafy. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Graham. Great to join you. Now, um, why is build-to-rent such a hot market all of a sudden? Yeah, look, it's Australia, you know, it's expected to see a pipeline of about 14,500 apartments and and around 2,000 co-living. And uh, build-to-rent is quite popular in other developed countries, such as you know, the US and the UK. And although Australia is in its infancy, there are you know, some changes with taxes that, that will benefit this new asset class. So as an example, you know, New South Wales will be introduce- introducing some land taxes for the build-to-rent projects up until 2040. And, uh, you know, although I think some larger developers have, you know, moved prior to these tax discounts, we're starting to see a lot of interest um, in, in the rest of the market. So what is Gigafy's proposition for build-to-rent developers? 
Yeah, so we found that developers and building managers are looking for commercial prop tech products and services that offer great value add and you know better living experience for their residents. So we solved this problem with our, you know, we've got a specialized internet product designed particular for build to rent, uh, high rises and townhouses. So there's been a great demand of both, you know, residential and commercial developments over the past few years. But with the emergence of build to rent, there's now you know, a greater interest in the market. So, you know, for example, we re- recently finished a project for Mervac down at Sydney Olympic Park and, uh, you know, the benefits of our system is heavily discounted, fast internet. Mervac has the ability to, well, at the moment, their promotional offer is 12 months free internet as part of their rental. So, you know, tenants, it, it's great for them. They have affordable, cheap internet into the building. And, you know, the day that they move in, they've got internet access. So it's, it's a win-win for everyone. Okay, so how does the Gigafy proposition work for more standard apartment blocks where you know, there, are, there are many owner-occupiers and renters, and you're a mix of both? Yeah, look, we've got a number of models, but it's, it's quite simple. We bring in uh, you know, dark fiber service into the building, we run cabling to each apartment, and we install a pre-Wi-Fi uh, router in every apartment. So, so the benefits for the renters, the owners, They'll have internet the day that they move in. They can sign up on a on a very different plans, and obviously us, the Gigafy sort of own, own, over our own network can offer a lot more affordable pricing and plans for our customers. Okay, so how does Gigafy um, compare to say NBN in terms of both uh, price and functionality? Yeah, so Gigafy offers internet with re- for residents, no contracts. So we don't we don't. We don't believe in contracts. We don't believe in setup fees. Instant instant connectivity uh, with our pre-installed Wi-Fi router in every apartment. So we also offer a free month trial. So if you know customers can try it out, if they don't like us, they can they can sign up with a, a different service if they want to. But we normally see around 80 percent take up in the building and, and retain our customers. Uh, we, you know, as a another add-on service, we provide Wi-Fi coverage to all the common areas throughout buildings. So, you know, customers signs off on a Gigafy account in their apartment. They can also roam throughout the building, which is fantastic for high-rise buildings where, you know, there, there may be limitation with 4G coverage. Okay, now Gigafy seems to be quite focused on on its particular product um, in a particular type of uh, customer environment. Is there any reason why you don't, say, just resell NBN services? Look, we may in the future expand the business into a greater scale, but you know, our model's been such a great success to date, and, and I see no reason why we would, we would sort of move into that space. Um, our, our sales are very strong. We're still installing you know, around four to 500 apartments per month, and we, we also see other vertical opportunities like we've sort of mentioned in, in this podcast with Build to Rent, even retirement villages and student accommodation. So there's, there's so much great opportunity in the market for Gigafy that will continue in, in, into those different markets. Okay, and finally, I'm, I'm interested to um, hear about, hear obviously, what's been the, the big news of 2020, and that's how COVID um, has impacted uh, your company. Obviously, it's been very impactful for the mobile carriers in terms of diminished roaming revenues and, and so on. And, but it's also been good in other ways because uh, of the work from home phenomenon and, and, and so forth. 
Um, how has Gigafire been impacted by COVID? Yeah, look, I mean, firstly, I want to express my deepest sympathy to all the small businesses in Australia because you know, it's been a great struggle for everyone and, you know, for the country. But I think it's great to see businesses now reopening in, in Victoria and, and other states. And I'm really optimistic of the future. But in regards to Gigafire, I think like most all telcos um, and that agree that we've been in a fairly good position during the pandemic. Uh, for for Giga, Gigafire in particular, you know, because we control our, our network and speeds to our customers and we don't have limitations such as CVC bottlenecks, uh, we have been able you know, to deliver consistent fast speeds to our customers. So we've seen a big take-up in, in a lot of high-rise buildings where you, know, you might have had customers that were using like a 4G or a mobile phone service. And we've seen a lot of those customers return back to the fixed internet community, um, which has been great for, for Gigafy. And, you know, in fact, during the COVID pandemic, we've been offering you know, some some great different plans, um, you know, gigabit plan for $139 and some symmetrical plans, which has been you know, a great success as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Chris. Pleasure. Great to speak to you. After our interview with Chris was finished, he messaged me to say that he forgot to mention that uh, he believes that Gigafy are the only carrier in Australia that can manage its end users' Wi-Fi. Um, he said, as you know, Graham, Wi-Fi is a difficult technology with coverage issues and interference. Uh, we take this pain away by supporting this for our customers. If they have issues with their Wi-Fi, we adjust the most suitable channel to provide them with the best experience. Oh, good stuff. On that note, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. I hope you have a great one and we'll see you next episode. What he sprinkled the seeds with He feared that you would learn the truth He ruled with no rhythm or reason 